A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. An Elio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame. Today we're discussing the Dietlov Pass incident. Here's what you need to know. After Joseph Stalin's death in 1953, the Soviet Union experienced a period of political and cultural growth and liberation known as the Thaw. Stalin's successor, Nikita Khrushchev, introduced a relaxation of rigid controls within the country, including the dismantling of the Gulag. This coincided with a series of technological, foreign, and economic successes for the Soviet Union, most notably with the launching of the Earth's first artificial satellite, Sputnik 1. 
riding the wave of national confidence within Soviet society. In late 1958, 22-year-old engineering student Igor Dyatlov began planning an ambitious 16-day, 200-mile cross-country ski expedition in the Urals mountain range in western Russia. His plans were to trek through the traditional territory of the Mansi, an indigenous people who had continued their traditional life of hunting, fishing, and reindeer herding. Dyatlov invited his classmate Zina Kolmogorova and seven other students and recent graduates from Ural Polytechnic Institute to join him. A few days before the expedition, the school added a new member to the team, 37-year-old sports instructor and World War II veteran Semyon Zolotoryov. The party of 10 left on January 23, 1959 by train, with some of them riding beneath the seats to avoid purchasing tickets. Throughout their travels, the group kept a communal journal, as well as personal journals and cameras to document the adventure. Following several days of travel, one of the students, Yuri Yudin, had a flare-up of sciatica and he decided to turn back while the remaining nine headed into the mountains on January 28th. On February 1st, around 5 p.m., the group pitched their large tent on Kolat Siakl, a slope that means dead mountain in the indigenous Mansi language. They were never heard from again. When the expeditioners failed to arrive at the village of Vizai and telegram the university as planned, family members began to worry and demanded that a search party be launched. By February 20th, a search team arrived at Kolat Siakl and found a bizarre scene. The group's tent was nestled on a seemingly mild slope, but it looked like it had been slashed open from the inside. A series of footprints revealed the travelers fled the tent either barefoot or only wearing socks. All of the group's belongings and shoes had been left behind. Over the course of the next two months, rescue groups, first consisting of volunteer students and teachers, and then later the army and police, found the bodies of all nine expeditioners, with few explanations as to why they had fled their tent. Each body was part of a grisly puzzle, but the Soviet Union simply closed the case by blaming an unknown natural force. But was that really all that happened? Fun Facts, aka Death Stats. Six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. The search party found the first two bodies shoeless and dressed only in underwear. They later found three more corpses who had died in poses suggesting that they were attempting to return to the tent. It took two more months to find the remaining four travelers. Upon medical examination, three of these bodies had fatal injuries, including a missing eyeball and tongue, skull, and chest fractures. The violent condition of the three bodies sparked an onslaught of conspiracy theories, many of which still survive today. In all, around 75 different theories have been put forward, including an alien abduction, a Yeti attack, a United States bomb, a lover's dispute turned violent, and even a teleportation experiment gone wrong. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. 
fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. And our very special guest today is friend and co-host of the podcast Swished FM, Chris Wendelkin. Hi, Chris. Hey. Hi, guys. How are you? It's so good to see you. <laughs> Chris, um, tell our listeners a little bit about your basketball podcast. Oh, wow. So Swish FM is What a, is a swish? Yeah. So swish is the sound of that ball, that big round ball going. Oh, the orange one. That, you know, making, yeah. Making he's talking to me because I don't know what we're talking no, about. No, I'm already learning so much because I for sure thought it was swoosh. I thought yeah. the sound was swoosh. Swish is acceptable, Chris. Is okay. swoosh is, acceptable? Is it? Oh, it it's is. Yes, yeah, swish. Swish. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Swoosh yeah, yeah. is actually Nike's uh, emblem. Yes, the the the, the emblem. Oh, yeah. okay. and we know Swish Swish Bish from Katy Perry's song. Right. So, but continue. <laughs> Tell us yeah. more about the podcast. So it's a very silly, irreverent podcast. I, I co-host with my friend Ben Craw every week. It's uh it's a basketball podcast. We do weekly deep dives into what we call like the greatest uh, sort of moments and careers and minutia from the NBA past and present. So, um, you know, like uh, this week, we're in the midst of doing a draft of the greatest NBA drafts. So we're drafting mm. drafts. We, we've drafted, you know, all time drafts. Yeah. 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 Epic. What an epic we, start we, to the 2023 year. We've drafted uh, <laughs> greatest NBA haircuts. We, you know, like uh, it's very, wow. you know, uh, it's, it's a very silly, irreverent podcast. If you want sort of the, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of the NBA, you, you know, you can go to your ESPN <laughs> podcasts right. if you're looking right. for a draft of drafts if you're looking for a draft of haircuts you come to us okay, okay. And, and yeah it's, uh, yeah it's a fun time that's cool now chris we like to start off the show by asking our guests what is something that is recently alarming you what is something <gasps> that's keeping you up at night something well something that's recently alarm alarming to me is that um so i, I recently got engaged and um congratulations thank you so something i have found alarming we've been just engaged a couple of weeks is how quickly people want to know if we have a date Mm. um and maybe that's a little naive of me because you know i guess this is what happens but we got engaged right before the christmas season and then just sort of hopped into christmas stuff you know presents seeing family this that and the other so we haven't had like a single practical uh, you know, conversation about like a wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But of course, immediately we've seen family and everyone wants to know like, when, when's now? the wedding? You know, like all the specifics. Like we 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 have no idea. Right. Literally not. <laughs> yeah. So it, that's it's, been a bit alarming. Yes. It's Are funny you alarmed? How peeped... Sorry, go ahead, Clay. No, go, Chris. Go for it. I was just going to follow up. Are you alarmed about that? Because um, this sort of date represents this sort of like, other deluge of decisions you're going to have to make, right? There's going to be food involved. There's going to be, there's a get who's on the guest list, who <sighs> invitations, you know, there's a, just a million choices. So I'm just wondering yeah. if it's, is, is that part of what the, what the alarm is about? I suppose, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe a bit. It's also just about like, you know, it just, we moved immediately past yeah. like, congratulations. We can't even right. celebrate right. right here. How do you feel? What is the date? <laughs> what is the date? Also, okay. doesn't everyone later? understand that like, like everything gonna... is closed? So, yeah. you know, it's been closed for the holidays. No one's really doing business. You're not going to yeah. go I'm see like, a venue right now. 
I have well, been crafting. Also- I have been crafting this engagement proposal engagement. for right. months. Right. Every practical like piece of energy like has right. gone into like this engagement proposal thing. Can we just I enjoy that? Seen, I haven't had a right. single thought right. about like what we will have for dinner mm-hmm. at the you know at the wedding. You are yeah. in a very specific period of time in your life that you will only ever be in during this time. I mean, yeah, that you are not really a human anymore. You are now a fiance. <laughs> and everyone only knows how to relate to you based on the fact that you are now engaged and you have a pending engagement yes, that we true. may or may not yes. be a part of. Yeah. I'm figuring all this out. That's how you're out. Only as a fiance who was planning yes. a wedding, that's all you do in life is plan your wedding. <laughs> right. Now, not only is Chris uh, an, a fiance, like Clayton said, but he used to be, when, when Chris lived in Los Angeles, he used to be part of uh, our like, I was gonna say our hiking group, but that is so not true. No, Chris would lead a few hikes we went on. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Chris has a t- a little bit more acumen when it comes to outdoorsmanship, mm-hmm. than, absolutely, than we do. Yeah, I would be glad if you were if I were on a hike, your presence is comforting to me. Okay. <laughs> if I were without you and it was just like me and this hiss, I'd be like, "Where's Chris?" Yeah. Well. I, that makes me happy to hear. <laughs> so that is hopefully, yeah. you know, we, we were a different kind of hiking group though. We were novices. I, at least oh boy, we were, you mm-hmm. were not, you were not. Yeah. Um, but we were, and, um, transitioning into talking about the Dietlov pass incident and this, what, what I think is, you know, even before we start blaming, right. It's mm-hmm. a, terrible tragedy and Mm. i just want to point out one aspect that really stuck with me when learning about it which was that yes this was this was an expedition group but more than that this was truly a group of friends who were mostly in their early 20s who shared a love of exploration and had decided to go on an adventure together something really fun they they weren't novices at hiking um, they were very experienced. The, this wasn't us going on a hike, right. right? This was a very serious group of friends who um, loved each other's company. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can't help but put yourself and, and imagine what that was like and, and put, you know, think about your own group of friends and, and, and uh, the kind of adventure that you might have gone on mm-hmm. with them and how excited you would be right. to spend this time together. Right. And that's how it all started. So I just like, I want to go down, talk about some of the people involved. There was uh, Igor Dyatlov, who was the leader. And he was the one who had the initial idea and then invited his friends along. And when he was found, uh, there was this documentary I watched that said that he had one of the other uh, hikers picture in his shirt pocket. Mm. Um, Zena, one of the other hikers, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I I don't think they don't think there were they were romantically linked because uh, Zena, who uh, uh, Zena Kolmogrova, I I'm gonna try my best here to pronounce these <laughs> Russian names. Right. We all will, yes. Yeah, we're all doing <laughs> our best. Um. Uh. Although. Uh, he seemed to like her. Um, I, they don't think it was reciprocated because she had actually dated another member in the group, and that was Yuri Doroshenka. Mm. 
So even like now, now just even knowing that it's mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like a real friend group where you start seeing all these links. It's like one has a crush on her. Sure. Right. He, you know, like she an, likes yeah. the other guy. <laughs> Yeah. But they, they were and they had they were broken up at the time, uh, Zena and Yuri, but uh, apparently they were in good terms. So they were still hiking together, spending time. Um, and, the, you know, these were all people who Ludmilla, Ludmilla, she was the youngest of the group, but she also was in charge of the money, I guess. Um on the trip. So mm. if there there was one story that uh, one of the other friends had asked her, I believe it was Yuri, um, uh, another Yuri, because there were two Yuris in the group, uh, had asked her for money to go get a, go to a cafe. And she had said no for some reason. And he then like started playing, uh, uh, it wasn't a ukulele. Maybe it was a ukulele, but he started playing that in the train station to like get money. And then he got arrested <laughs> and the whole group had to like go save him, you know? Oh, wow. So <laughs> they were like into antics. They were fun. Yeah, right. Um, like a very romantic young group of they were, professional they were, hikers. They were going like on between adventure. 20 to 22, 23. Mm-hmm. No, I appreciate those details. It adds a lot of texture to this event. You know, it's, it is so easy to kind of think back and, you know, because we, we were in our, when we were in our 20s, we would do the Harvard sailing team. We would do sketch comedy. We would travel a little bit. And mm-hmm. Chris was a part of that too. Chris was uh, uh, our tech. Yeah. Uh, for yes. a while. That's right. He was That's an right. excellent tech. And he was in uh, a lot of the shows as well. We would incorporate him. And That's it was, right. you know, it's just funny to think about, uh, it's just funny to think about that context and the, and, you know, interpersonal relationships going on, but it's as, as a good layer, I think. Yeah, it's a very like young, romantic, idyllic time, like in Mm -hmm. your 20s, you know, you're just kind of like acting on passion. And, you know, yeah, I mean, I think back to my 20s, and I distinctly remember like hanging out with you guys, like going to your shows, working on your shows. Everyone's helping each other out with their different passion projects. I was working on different plays. Um, You guys, I'm sure saw plays that I was in. Like, yes, it was just, uh, you know, yeah like, yeah, like you said, Rebecca, it's a very tragic thing because clearly this is a group of friends that were trying to have fun and be mm-hmm. outside and do something sort of bonding and uh, very sad. There's and something there was- too about that, like the... No, it's tragic when anything like this would happen, but like, you know, you talk about the youth, like these kind of young people who are in their prime coming out of school or whatever, they kind of have like their whole world ahead of them. And like yeah. for these things to happen, I feel like it really resonates with people who remember living that moment and how exhilarating it felt to be like, wow, like I'm finally an adult. What am I going to do? Yeah. You have no responsibility. The world Mm -hmm. is, you know, your life is ahead of you. And there were, like we stated earlier, earlier, there was a one member of the group who actually didn't go on the journey with them. He was supposed to go. And then he had the sciat, I I believe he had sciatica. Mm. um, And then he had to stay back. And, you know, you think about what it must feel like to be the one person who not only survived, right? Because you have this what if. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you're always questioning, like, right. what if I had gone in the group? But not just that, but like your entire friend group is yeah. gone. Mm. Right. I, you know, it's so sad to think about losing all of your friends, nine friends. Um, so let's talk about what investigators found 
at this, you know, scene of, of this tragedy and, okay. and what, what they think those findings possibly suggested. Okay. So this is according to allthatisinteresting.com. When investigators arrived at the campsite, the first thing they noticed is that the tent had been cut open in a way that soon proved to be from the inside and that it was nearly destroyed. Meanwhile, most of the team's belongings, included several pairs of shoes, had been left there at the camp. They then discovered eight or nine sets of footprints from the team, many of them clearly made by people with neither either nothing, socks, or a single shoe on their feet. These tracks led to the edge of the nearby woods, almost a mile away from the camp. So this was sudden. They left in a hurry. At the forest edge, under a large uh, cedar, the investigators found the remains of a small fire and the first two bodies. Yuri Krivonyshenko, 23, and Yuri Doroshenko, 21, despite temperatures of 13 to 22 uh, Fahrenheit. Below. Uh, below, sorry, below 13 to below 22 Fahrenheit on the night of their deaths, both men's bodies were found shoeless and wearing only underwear. That's very cold to, to not be wearing clothing. I would agree. Pretty strange, yeah. Yeah. Then they found the next three bodies, those of Dyatlov, Zina, and Rustem Slobodin, 23, who died on their way back to the camp from the cedar tree. Investigators couldn't explain why Doroshenko was brown-purple in complexion or why he had gray foam coming from his right cheek and gray liquid coming from his mouth. Furthermore, the hands of the two hikers under the cedar were scraped away and branches above them were torn down as, as if the two men had tried desperately to seek shelter from something or someone in the tree. Meanwhile, Slobodin had head injuries consistent with someone falling and hitting their head over and over again. And uh, Zina Kolmogrova had a baton-shaped bruise on her side. These two hikers, as well as the others found by this point, were also generally underdressed and wearing some of each other's clothing, only supporting the idea that they had fled suddenly and without adequate preparation into the freezing night, despite being experienced hikers. It wasn't until the other bodies were found two months later that the mystery deepened even more. The remaining hikers were discovered buried under the snow in a ravine 75 meters deeper into the woods than the cedar, known as the Dyatlov Pass Den. Nikolai Tebobrignols suffered significant skull damage in the moments before his death, while Ludmila Domenina and Semyon Zolotaryov had major chest fractures that could only have been caused by an immense force comparable to that of a car crash. Wow. In the most gruesome part of the Dietlov Pass incident, Dubanina was missing her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, as well as facial tissue and a fragment of her skull bone. They also found the body of Alexander uh, Kolovetov in the same location, but without the, the same kind of severe wounds. This second group of bodies suggested that the hikers had died at distinctly different times because they appeared to have been making use of the clothes of the people who died before them. So they were... They Once people the die, they strip them. Right. That's which explains why some of them were only wearing underwear. Dubanina's foot was wrapped in a, in a piece of Krivonichenko's wool pants and and so forth. So they were they were using them. So it's a very bizarre scene that is found by investigators. Yeah, it sounds like it. I mean, with all the uh, sounds like there were. <laughs> 
<laughs> where do you start? Did what did they make sense? Well, How did the, they make sense of all this? The strangest thing to me, the thing that jumps out right away is like in the middle of the night, people are cutting themselves out of a tent, many of whom are either like virtually naked, basically in their underwear with or without shoes, many of them barefoot in the snow. So there's some sort of like catastrophic event instantly happening where everyone is saying, we, we have no time. It doesn't matter that there's snow on the ground. We have to literally run barefoot mm-hmm. in our underwear. Right. You know, some people had clothes. Some people just had their underwear. So immediately, you know, it sort of speaks to the nature of like the emergency that this was not some sort of like carefully thought out plan that this was some sort of like, you know, major, major, major emergency. We have to go right now to the point where we're cutting yes. ourselves out of a tent. Yeah. And uh, let's start off by putting hypothermia up on the board, because I think that's what, you know, a major contributing factor. Mm -hmm. A science article, a scientific article published in the journal uh, Communications, Earth and Environment in 2021 said, according to the 1959 Soviet criminal investigation, quote, a compelling natural force led to the death of of the Dyatlov group. However, the nature of this force has not been identified. The mysteries arise from numerous unexplained observations. While hypothermia was determined to be the main cause of the death, four hikers had severe thorax or skull injuries. Two were found with missing eyes, like we said, and one without a tongue. Uh, some were almost naked and barefoot traces of and traces of radioactivity were found on some of their clothes and signs of glowing orange spheres floating in the sky were, were reported that night. Glowing orange spheres floating in the sky. Okay. I mean, the radioactive matter on on, on found. I mean, it's just like a lot of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. Here. Weird. Now, I will say that two of the members of the group had or, or were living at some point in in towns that uh, had uh, radioactive. Um, like a plant or something it? producing material. Yeah, like material. a plant. Yeah, yeah okay. nuclear plant. So it's possible that that just... They brought uh, that with them. They brought that with them. Another thing I heard was that the lamp that they... The lantern they mm. were carrying might have had some kind of radioactive sure. material. And that mm. burst or whatever. Yeah. And now it's splattered. Or that they on. just yeah. used... Um, you know, that was transferred and apparently they don't use that material anymore. Like they stopped in the nineties, thankfully. It was a different (laughs) time folks. Yeah. This is 1959. So very creepy conditions. Um, the, the orange spheres again on, uh, you know, we don't know what that was. Um, why don't we also put up on the board? Infrasound. This is according to the (laughs) Atlantic. The theory put forward by the American researcher, Donnie Eicher, is as well as by some Russian scientists, is that severe winds blowing over the dome of the mountain created a caraman vortex street of whirlwinds, which produced a low frequency sound that is not entirely audible, but vibrates hair cells in the ear causing nausea and intense psychological discomfort. 
Under that onslaught in the pitch dark, the students could have been overcome by feelings of fear and panic. So that's a potential theory. Again, some of these are theories that have come about throughout the years um, after investigators failed to really give a satisfying answer as to what happened to these people. Yeah, this is like, I'm flabbergasted. Like, what the hell? There's so many possibilities here. And this is mm-hmm. tough for an alarmist episode because, like, it's hard to know who to blame when we don't know. When we, it, it just is so many layers of what mm-hmm. the possibilities are. I mean, I'm not saying... Well, this might be a spoiler alert, but they they did reopen an investigation in 2021. And I think we have a little bit more clarity. Do we know what the initial... Like, initially when this happened and they were found, was there, like what the first theory or idea was about what happened and where it spun off from there? Do do we know? We do. The first thing they tried to blame was uh, the Mansi people. Um. So the first thing they initially thought was that this was some kind of crime, a murder had occurred. Mm. And for the record, um, you know, the Mansi, you know, we're, let's put them up on the board, but okay. we're going to take them right off the board because <laughs> they are definitely not to blame. It's just the first thing that people turned to uh, when, when, the, uh, when they found out what had happened and they were falsely accused of this. So let's put a Mansi attack up on the board. This is according to BBC. At the time of the deaths, accusing fingers were initially pointed at the only other people living in the region, the Mansi. Soviet investigators were convinced we Mansi must have killed them, Valerie says. So many people around here were arrested. Eventually, the Soviet authorities were unable to find any incriminating evidence and flew their helicopters to the Mansi villages to ask once again for help. Thanks to our guys, the remaining four skiers were found in May, adds Valerie. This is according to Spiked. Had the camp been attacked, there were local Mansi tribesmen who herded reindeer and hunted in the local forests. However, the Mansi were peaceful and hospitable and had no history of attacking visitors and had no reason to threaten the group. Plus, there was no track evidence of anyone approaching the tent. As far as an animal attack, there was no tracks. Forensic analysts of the tent showed that it had not been ripped, but cut from the inside. The tent had been cut from inside. So they turned to this group who lived in those mountains. And they're indigenous to that area. They're indigenous to the area. And they're like, oh, this must have been you know, a situation where they had stumbled upon a holy mountain of theirs and they had killed them uh, for whatever reason. But when they asked more questions um, to, and when they spoke to the Mansi people, they found out that that mountain had no like specific significance to them and that they were not opposed to like outsiders coming into their town. So There, it was. They were absolutely falsely accused. But there you have it. Wow. Mm-hmm. I think it. This speaks to like the horror that the um the scene must have been. Yeah. In. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like you you scattered a, bruised, uh-huh. but not all of them. Like missing body parts. Like yeah, you want to go yeah. to a dark place when you discover something like that. Yeah. 
Shall we talk about extraterrestrials? <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. What are we doing here? Scary. Yep, yep. I mean, we're just going to put up on the board just a bunch of these the board, wild ET. options. Yeah. I mean, these are enduring theories. A lot of people I also actually think, believe them. Because I also think that before we, or after, maybe we get those out of the way, and we'll probably include the Yeti at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> um, or, you know we will. Um, I do want to talk about just sort of, um, you know, man's respect for Mother Nature and that mm, kind of, you know, when, yes. we, when we talk about hiking and safety, you know, yeah. those, right, right. those things we can kind of get into, not to obviously don't want to victim blame because this was not just no. a typical um, hike expedition event. There's some, something obviously happened. Um, but just, you know, um, we, after we talk about the the wild theories. We'll discuss. And I, and I have a... a I have feelings about that. Okay. Extraterrestrials up on the board. <laughs> <laughs> this is according to the Diet Love Pass website. Okay. <laughs> Official website. <laughs> Occasionally, some of the conspiracy theorists claim that UFOs scared the group away. Lev Ivanov, a man who was in charge of investigating uh, of the investigation at the Dyatlov Pass, made a statement in the 1990s that during his investigation, he and E.P. Maslenikov both noticed that the pines in the forest were burned at the top. He also claimed that A.P. Kirilenko, member of the Soviet Congress, along with his advisor, A.F. Afstokin, forced Ivanov to take out any reference to unknown flying objects or other strange phenomena. This included pictures of flying spheres drawn by the Mansi hunters and other testimonies. So a cover-up was involved, which makes us believe, wonder, possibly, did the original investigation leave out certain specifics that could, mm. have, that could um, uh -huh. support the extraterrestrial theory? Yeah, it, just the fact that they were asked to remove. Now, it's possible that Ivanov, who was part of the initial investigation, put those in and, you know, his superiors were like, OK, this is this is a little kooky. Hmm. Like, let's take them out. And then now in reading the now when we read the paperwork, um, we're like, oh, that's so sketchy. You know, why did they remove them? But it could just right. also be that it was not a plausible theory. And so let's let's take him out. If you we know. might have to open the X files for this one, what do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, but this was like a period in time when people were like fascinated by space, right? Like, yeah. like yeah, also like true. the Russians, the Russians and the U.S. They're both like competing to get to the moon first. You know, yes. satellites yeah. in space. So I think it was like on the brain, right? Like, yeah, that there's this like whole universe out there that we don't know and. I think, you know, your imagination gets the best of you, but um, it's also yeah. like a pretty great, I mean, maybe some might say it's lazy, but like when something that's so bizarre happens and you just don't know how to explain it, explain it, how easy to be like, oh, this is otherworldly. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. no and if here. you're not saying it's God, then extraterrestrials. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, another wild theory is a uh, Yeti or perhaps an animal. Um, if, if for those of us who might not know, the Yeti is uh, also known as the abominable snowman. Uh, <laughs> and it's a mysterious uh, bi 
bipedal creature? Sure, he walks on two feet. Oh, okay. Feet. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's a weird way of describing him? Well, it's <laughs> a... Say, yeah. It, it, what's unique about him is that he walks on two feet. Right, okay. Because that's an... Because it's potentially an animal. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's set to live in the mountains of Asia. Whatever. We know what the right. abominable... I don't have to Got explain it. this to you. <laughs> Look it up, okay? Bigfoot. <laughs> well... Bigfoot, folks. Yeah. Do any of you believe in Bigfoot or the abominable, abominable snowman? Because if so, this is the moment to plead your case i think with as many phones as are out in the world right now if mm-hmm. we don't have video evidence at this point uh, i'm very doubtful <laughs> well yeah. it's interesting you bring up phones and uh video evidence because this group had a camera with them oh wow mm-hmm. you can actually go online and see some of the photos, photos they took. that they took before this tragedy happened and there's this wonderful group photo of them like all hanging out like right before they mm. uh go out on the mission they're just playing in the snow um wow really yeah and one of the photos which is clearly just one of the guys like from far away but it kind of looks like an abominable snowman it's because mm. they're like w- in the trees and in the snow and far away but like they were clearly just playing around right. and like taking pictures of each other it sounds silly, but do we put no phones up on the board? <laughs> in 1959? Yeah, like just like yeah. they were living in ancient times where we didn't have well, the technology. Uh, Bigfoot mm-hmm. and aliens are on the board, so. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we have limitations. Not, yeah, something we'll take sure. down very quickly, but why not? <laughs> um, yeah, Clay. Now, why don't we start getting uh, talking about some of the more plausible theories? Sure, though. great. Okay. We've got a lot to uh, uh, cover here, so I'll do my best um, and do this quickly. Soviet military test, question mark. Vice said, investigator Lev Ivanov was the one who first noticed that the bodies and gear found were all radioactive. He also said that Soviet officials told him at the time to clamp the case shut, despite reports that bright flying spheres had been reported in the area February and March of 1959. I suspect at the time, and I'm almost sure now that these bright flying spheres had a direct connection to the group's death, Ivanov later told a newspaper. Another group of students camped out around 30 miles from the other group reported similar sightings at the time. One student said that they saw a shining circular body fly over the village from the southwest to the northeast. The leading theory, considering the secrecy, radioactivity, and the, the appearance of some of the bodies, which were reported as being deeply tanned by a young boy attending some of their funerals, is that the group somehow came across a Soviet military testing ground. Hmm. And mm. this is one of the theories that a lot of people do believe. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it definitely stands out. Yeah. Material. Uh-huh. That, um, that these kids stumbled onto a Soviet, uh, uh, like, weapons, like, testing site, and the Soviets didn't want any word getting out, so they just t- t- took out all the students. Right. What? What is the... Yeah, that's a good question. What's the continuation? Or that it was a mistake, that, me, that they stumbled yeah. upon it, and they died by mistake or they were conducting oh. conducting tests and they just happened to be in that oh area. like this to me sounds stuff. like a very um like a very american thing to believe like a, you know like we would love Deep to state. believe that like the yeah, so- sure. soviets were doing some secret military tests and they killed these kids i don't know what people in russia actually how much they believed it well they they also believed it could have been american spies mm. oh. the, uh, you know <laughs> 
Sure. <laughs> Interesting. So we should put that up on the board. If we're going to put Soviet. <laughs> we should. Uh, 50, you know, military 50, right? testing. Yes. Yeah. You got to play both sides here. <laughs> yeah. We want to be fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. So I have a lot to cover here. Let's put up paradoxical undressing. This is according to The Guardian. Some victims died of hypothermia, having fled almost naked from the campsite after the avalanche. In effect, an effect known as paradoxical undressing is well known in cold weather medicine and may occur in up to half of deaths associated with hypothermia. Snowbound victims remove coats, sweaters, and even trousers before dying from the cold. As the body cools, vasoconstriction occurs meaning that blood vessels narrow to divert blood away from the periphery of the body and maintain temperature at the core. This causes a loss of mental clarity, sometimes known as cold stupid. When vasoconstriction falls off, the victim senses their skin becoming warmer, feeling strangely hot. In their confusion, they take off layers of clothing, usually becoming unconscious soon afterwards. That is just like imagining that all the blood is running away from your appendages and that that feeling then becomes heat or Mm -hmm. the experience of heat wow can you believe that and uh, just the the brain is a the brain is a crazy thing you guys the brain is crazy (laughs) should we put the brain up on the board (laughs) we're leading them Um, on this expedition (laughs) (laughs) for everything okay well uh, no, we can't blame the brain for this. No, but but how do we how do we put how do we blame paradoxical undressing or just call it that? It's just an event that happens. Right. Well, it's just that's sort of triggered by hypothermia. Right. That right. It mm. causes more hypothermia. Potentially could explain why they were undressing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. A slab avalanche. This is from National Geographic. Many argued that the avalanche theory initially proposed in 1959 still didn't seem to stack up. The team's tent encampment was cut into the snow on a slope with an incline seemingly too mild to permit an avalanche. There was no snowfall on the night of February 1st that could have increased the weight of the snow burden on the slope and triggered a collapse. Most of the blunt force trauma-like injuries and some of the soft tissue damage were atypical of those caused by avalanches, whose victims usually asphyxiate. However, the slope turned out to not be all that shallow after all. Undulating topography on Kolatsiakl, covered by snowfall, made the slope appear mild, but it was actually closer to 30 degrees, the rule of thumb minimum requirement for many avalanches. The local topography played a trick on them. This is an excerpt from Vice. In their 2021 study, Puzren and Gom argued that slab avalanches could provide an answer to the mystery while satisfying most of the oddities surrounding the deaths. Slab avalanches happen when a slab-like layer of snow is positioned on top of a weaker layer, creating dangerously pent-up pressure that can be released by a relatively small trigger. The researchers suggested that the pitching of the tent might have set off a fatal chain of events that eventually led to, to a slab falling on the sleeping hikers, causing severe trauma in some of them and prompting the rest to run into the night without proper gear, where they ultimately succumb to the cold. Now, this is what is so weird and and scary about this case is that it wasn't on like a full on avalanche like we've seen in the movies. This was a small avalanche that doesn't often happen that 
you can't really see coming or prepare for that now we also have to worry about? Mm. Yeah. It's like the pre-avalanche avalanche. And yeah, so I think the theory there is that these guys were experienced enough and aware enough to know, hey, we're about to get crushed. This mini avalanche is a a harbinger of like way worse things to come. Hmm. Let's get the hell out of here. We're going to cut open this tent. Don't worry about your clothes. We're about to die. And they're sprinting, sprinting, sprinting. And um, that explains, you know, the the rush and some of the trauma. Hmm. Um, But yeah, it sounds like also that they were duped almost into thinking that this was going to be worse than it actually was. Right. So they, they thought they were on stable ground, but they actually weren't. And perhaps the packing of the tent or the, you know, positioning of the tent or packing the snow underneath the tent um, is what actually triggered this slab avalanche. Mm. Right. Now, finally, I feel like we should talk about something you brought up earlier, Chris, um, which was the, well, I was going to call it unnecessary risk, even though I'm even, I'm hesitant to put this up on the board. Chris, you're, you're, you're saying yes, yes, yes. So, okay. Actually this ties in nicely. So I mentioned before that I, that, that I recently got engaged and, um, my, my fiance, I would say we, we have some real differences. Like I'm very outdoorsy, very outdoorsy hiking guy, camping guy, uh, my fiance Kelly is like risk averse. This all sounds completely crazy to her. She would never take a camping trip <laughs> like that. I like is her. Like, I like, like her. Literally, like a, an awful idea in her mind. And so, this sort of trip that these kids took through the mountains in the snow is, without a doubt, something in my twenties. I would have been like, "That sounds so fun! Like, mm. I will definitely do that. Why not? This is, you know, this is going to be an adventure." And I wouldn't have had the foresight or whatever to think through all the possible things that could go wrong. Whereas someone like Kelly, my fiance, who's, you know, immediately sees all the potential things that could go wrong would tell you like, no, this is a terrible idea. Do this trip trip in the summer, do this trip in the spring. It will be less dangerous. And as someone that has, um, like had my fair share of like scary falls mm. uh, on like slippery uh, hiking trails. I'm mm. very embarrassed to say, but like I've had a few close calls and where I just shouldn't have been hiking in situations. And sometimes, you know, you you can get to a point where you hike in and everything is fine. And then you get to a higher elevation and things are really frozen. Sure. And icy. Oh. In a way, Clayton, you grew up in Colorado. Maybe you know mm-hmm. some of that stuff. Like things are atmospherically, like all of a sudden, it's, the air is thinner. <laughs> the air is thinner. It's colder. Things yeah. don't melt in the same way. So hmm. you know, maybe you're initially you're hiking on crunchy snow, and then all of a sudden you're on like what seems like an ice skating rink, and then oh. you're going downhill. So yeah, it's just one of those. When I, as soon as you you told me about this event, Rebecca, and I started reading about it, like I was like, yeah, this is maybe one of those things where these kids didn't have a voice or reason kind of like in their head being like, this is not the time to do something like this. I, I, I love that you're bringing this up, Chris, because when I was thinking about it, I was like, well, okay, unnecessary risk. I'm a little hesitant to talk about it because I, I think risk uh, 
is tied to a person's skill and experience, right? So like it would be extremely risky for me to go and me and your fiance Kelly to go on this hiking trip, right? But for these hikers, the risk was much less because they're so experienced, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. But I do think it could also, you know, maybe with age, you realize how scary. (laughs) This is not fair. It's not fair because I also, uh, it's not fair to people who love outdoors and are good at being outdoors. Um, You know, we, we, has everyone seen Naked and Afraid or Alone? You know, those shows Mm. on TV, these (laughs) expert, you know, people who can handle it. Um, We're, I'm so far from these people. So for me to be like, oh, it's just too risky feels unfair. Um, but there has to be, but like you said, that element of slippery ice. There's the like risk reward thing yeah. too, yes. right? Like that's so part of it. I one of my good friends is uh was like a semi-pro skier and like it was his true passion, you know? And terrifyingly, in his 20s. Um, he got caught in an avalanche in South America and sh- it, it shattered his ankle oh my God. and he was unable to ski for a few years. And it really like altered his life in a lot of ways, like just like basic human things, you know, like he just was not able to do. And it, he had a very extensive like recovery process and physical therapy. And I don't think, you know, he talked about when he told me what happened, he still talked about the trip in like this, like magical way. It was this, it was like a dream for him. Like he took time off. He took a couple months off to go to South America. He was going to ski all around. Like Mm. this was, this was something he wanted to do. And I think, you know, it's just a risk reward thing. Like you, as long as you know what you're getting into and Mm -hmm. what could potentially happen, it's just the risk you take, I guess. I feel like we as a species, have spent our entire history uh, evolving to get ourselves out of the elements and protect (laughs) ourselves because we know that the elements are very risky. And so I think, and now we're so deep into it. Like, you know, we don't even question going, making a run to the grocery store. Right. But like there are wild animals outside. There are things that can kill you outside. So if you're going to leave your house or your safe place ever, you just have to assume that you could just die. That is the most alarmist thing you've ever said. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you assume a certain amount of risk just by leaving the house. But I think just circling back, uh, the experience and preparation is part seems to be like a formula to protect yourself against mm-hmm. risk but ultimately mm-hmm. um you don't you don't there's right. no way to know the full extent right. yeah. of what's Maybe out that, there the the unexpected yes like, can we put that or is there something like a, like that that we could put on the board sure like, just yeah. not being able to plan i know for what everything. you're saying it's like that unexpected um it's like you know when you do things things that there's a certain element of risk and you kind of calculate how risky things can be. And this is the the part that you It's like the fluke or is, something. Yeah. This is the, the thing. Know? It's it's the thing that could happen, happen. That you didn't even think could happen, happen. Right. And there's nothing you can do to control that. And that's why I think it's so unsatisfying for people. Uh and well, uh, to, to to you know s- well, they also, that, that, that goes back to what Chris was saying earlier. It's like about you were saying, Chris, you want to talk about respecting nature. It's just like the the immensity of nature and of mother. Like we just 
mm. pale in comparison to its power, you know, and like you just can't anticipate everything, no yeah. matter how much you plan. Right. And there, it's just there's an infinite amount of possibilities, uh, right. you know, uh, uh, in, in, in these things. Many things can happen. Things can happen concurrently or on top of each other or, you know, in se- some kind of sequence that you can't prepare for. And I think the best or rather, you know, what, what I'm sure um, experienced people strive for is to anticipate um, anything that could happen, right, and prepare for it. That's why we're all here. <laughs> That's yes. what the alarmist is for. Um, we we're running out of time, but I want to put maybe we just put Mother Nature up on the board. Okay. Yeah. Um, just un- unpredictable Mother Nature. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll start knocking things off the board. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. 
Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Alarmist. Who's to blame for the Dyatlov Pass incident? Is it hypothermia, infrasound, Mansi attack, extraterrestrials, Yeti, no phones, Soviet military tests, American spies, <laughs> paradoxical undressing, a slab avalanche, unnecessary risks, can't plan for the unexpected, or mother nature? This is like, <laughs> this is a murderer's row of alarmist things to blame here. Wow. <laughs> okay, I think right off the bat, let's take the Mansi people off. It was not a Mansi totally, attack. Totally, no. Totally mm-hmm. innocent. Yes. We just put them up on the board in order to talk about the fact that people blamed them. Yeah. Uncalled for. Let's also take off no phones, Clay. What do you think? Okay. Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and American spies, I don't think this one is American spies. No evidence, but um I think then we also have to take off the military test too, right? Or the, do you still yes, think- agree. I, I don't think that that's what happened here. The Yeti and the extraterrestrials also can come off the board. Okay, yeah, we're knocking fantastic. a lot. This is we are rapid fire here. <laughs> Yeti was a real, you know, that was something really to be afraid of. Okay. okay, well, Chris, do you believe in the in Bigfoot? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I mean, look, I think uh, I don't think it was a Yeti. I don't okay. think it was a Yeti. <laughs> Ultimately, sure. Um. Could we take off? I think the paradoxical undressing was not to blame no, here. No, yes. It, it could have that like a symptom. And unnecessary risk, I think we can take off because I, I like can't plan for the unexpected a little bit more, right? Okay. Yeah. The Maybe we just call that the unexpected, right? Sure. <laughs> sure. It's sort of like just a... But I, I like that you just can't plan for it. Infrasound, I think we can take off as well, which leaves us with hypothermia, Mm -hmm. a slab avalanche, the unexpected, and Mother Nature. You know, I don't know. What do you think? Mother Nature, because if it was, let's say, a Yeti Uh or some kind of animal as well as, you know, some kind of slab avalanche, that all kind of falls under Mother mother Nature. Mm Mm-hmm. That's true, but I do feel like the specificity of this slab avalanche. Yeah. Which we are, I mean, I guess now we kind of have more information to blame the slab avalanche. Right. right? More more investigations have come out recently. Right. What do you think, Wendalkin? I, I mean, I like the slab avalanche theory. I mean, I think, um, yes, I mean, we can certainly blame hypothermia but i think hypothermia probably ultimately is a result of mm-hmm. the slab right. avalanche Agreed. like they never they never flee from the tent half undressed and catch hypothermia without this slab avalanche yeah. thing yeah, i yeah, agree right? i agree and what i'm thinking we slapped is is the unexpected mm. i like that <laughs> The unexpected. I mean, I hate the unexpected. 
just slapping the unexpected. Like, yeah. What? I just don't. How do you do that? How do you find it? I'm just thinking about how that happens, like physically in the world. Well, I've got news for the unexpected. They're not going to see the slap coming. Ooh, the unexpected Ooh. is gets has unexpected. Its own unexpected. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> brutal, brutal. It'll appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I will say planning is a big part of the alarmist family. It's mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's something we talk about a lot, planning, preparation. Mm-hmm. And I will say the unexpected, with enough preparation, there's less of the unexpected. Yeah, but the, yeah. So there it's, will always it's be the an antidote. unexpected. I understand I that, but, you know, there's more unexpected with less planning. That's true. Mm-hmm. And so our, our, our tools against the unexpected are planning. But you can't prepare for the unexpected. It still you remains unexpected. You can't have a one hundred percent guarantee. No, you just can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm gonna call it. Okay. The unexpected. You're getting the big slap. A slab avalanche. You're going to the alarmist jail. Wow, the jail just got real cold. Mm-hmm. Boy, oh boy, wouldn't want to be in that jail. <laughs> We're going to have to provide some parkas, uh, yeah. f- you know, some kind of a coat situation for everyone the, and everything. The prisoners on good behavior, yeah. yeah, get Canada Goose down. And the prisoners who... <laughs> no, everyone gets... Uh, that's basic human needs. Everyone needs a, a Canada... Okay. <laughs> I don't know of a Canada down Canada Goose, goose down? Canada Goose, uh, <laughs> but like, you know, everyone's getting plenty of warmth. Uh, in the alarmist jail. Chris, what's your uh, ja- what's your cold weather jacket? My cold. We- I got the Carhartt. Oh, nice. Yeah, I got I got the Carhartt up here. And the thing is, you got to layer. That's you the got big to. Yeah, that's the thing you have to do. Uh, you got to have the scarf. You need the hat, the gloves. Um, and yeah, you you layer in like a sweatshirt underneath the Carhartt, and then you'll be fine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Don't forget the hat. Great advice. Chris, we couldn't have done this without you. Thank you so much for joining us today and helping us get to the bottom of the Dyatlov Pass incident. My pleasure, guys. It was so fun talking to you. In the aftermath of the Dyatlov Pass incident, due to renewed public interest, in 2015, the Russian authorities agreed to re-examine the incident and in 2019, they concluded that an avalanche was primarily responsible for the nine deaths. In 2021, researchers Alexander Puzrin and Johan Gom undertook a detailed scientific investigation to further explain the tragedy. Their conclusion was that a combination of irregular topography, a cut made in the slope to install the tent, and strong winds contributed to the slab avalanche, causing severe non-fatal injuries. As for the days following the avalanche, only speculation and mystery remains. Visit our website and let us know who you think is to blame at www.thealarmistpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram at The Alarmist Podcast and on Twitter at Alarmist The. You can also send us your thoughts via email to thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Today's episode was produced and engineered by Clayton Early with fact-checking by Chris Smith and editing by Molly Hockey. Thank you to our associate producer and researcher, Alex Paul. The Alarmist is executive produced by Rebecca Delgado-Smith and the Erios Network. Tune in next week. We'll be discussing the rise and fall of Bloody Mary.
powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.